All right, we're going to start this morning with our reading of Scripture, which comes from 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 31. Uh, and what a gift it is Amen. to be able to come to the Word of the Lord together as a community and as a family of God. This is going to be a, maybe a familiar passage for some of you, um, but I, I just uh, invite you to just sort of settle in where you are. It's five slides, so not the longest one I've ever read. But to hear it <laughs> again <laughs> and hear if you hear anything different and, and to realize, I don't know, just I was overwhelmed with gratitude this week as I was preparing this and realizing what a gift it is to be able to approach Scripture again and again and hear a new word from the Spirit each time. Yeah. So this is 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 31. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greatest honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and we say, thanks be to God. You can see why I had a hard time maybe, you know, trying to figure out where to read or, or leave some, that was just such a good passage of scripture all at once from Paul to the church in Corinth. And we're going to get to that in a moment. 
Um, but clearly we are starting a new teaching series this morning. Um, and, you know, back, you all probably remember this, back at the beginning of February of this year, um, my whole family, all four of us, we tested positive for COVID, and we were deep in that 10-day quarantine time. No outside help. <laughs> the kids were fine after a day. Full energy back. Matt and I were not fine, and we were trying to wrangle these children that seemed to be climbing the walls. We were desperate. We needed help, and a lifelong, a lifeline came to us in the form of Disney+. Plus. probably maybe you've heard of this movie maybe you've seen it it came out in theaters actually first in November but didn't hit Disney Plus until like December 24th like Christmas time and so by the by the beginning of January it seemed like it had taken over our world right like it had become for us at least the soundtrack of our lives, and especially once the 1st of February hit and we were in lockdown quarantine, man, we had this song playing on repeat. (laughs) Logan had a whole dance made up for We Don't Talk About Bruno. So, of course, I'm talking about the movie Encanto. And if you haven't seen it, you've probably at least heard that song, We Don't Talk About Bruno. It was on, like, the number one, like, top 100 billboard for, like, five or six weeks in a row. Um, It was sort of crazy. It it passed um, Let It Go from Frozen in terms of number of streams and popularity, which is impressive. You know, I've never heard Let It Go at a wedding. I have heard We Don't Talk About Bruno played at a wedding. Y'all, it took over our world. (laughs) It became the soundtrack for many of our lives, especially if you have kids under the age of 10. Anybody? Can I get an amen? You all have heard it, watched it so many times. Yeah, you know every word by heart. 19? Okay, well, there you go. That's great. I love that. I love that. It is. It really is for every age, including me. When I'm like, kids, don't you want to watch Encanto? It's time to sing along again. Let's go, children. The whole, tre- the whole soundtrack is really tremendous. I mean, original music by Lin-Manuel Miranda. Halfway through the film, I was like, oh, this is going to rival Lin-Manuel. He better watch out. And I was like, never mind. It's him. He did it again. He has done it again. But, you know, the more I watched and the more I listened, the more I saw just these incredible life lessons. I mean, this thing is just so many layers jam-packed with so many good life lessons about navigating family relationships. And in this amazing way, it seems that Encanto really is relatable to almost any family system. I mean, it's, it's really quite impressive. And just this one family here, the family Madrigal, here you are, here they are. And just this one family, they struggle to see and honor one another for who they are and not what they can do. In this one family, there is a diversity of gifts And some feel insecure or overlooked or underestimated or left out because they are not as talented as the other family members. And this leads one uh, to a growing sense of resentment and and sort of this feeling of needing to prove herself. In this one family, they struggle to see and understand one another for who they are. They're valued for what they do and not just who they are. 
There's a few members who are sort of crumbling under the weight of pressure and expectation to be great, to be strong, to be perfect, to excel. The expectation of their older family members is, is, is crushing for them. There's another family who's been cast out. They just don't talk about him. Bruno, spoiler alert. We're going to talk about him, though. <laughs> Week three, we are going to talk about Bruno. <laughs> it's going to be great. How many of our families, though, do we have topics that we just don't talk about? Maybe it's topics or, or stories from the past or, or things that have happened. Maybe even it's whole people, like whole family members that, that don't come around anymore, that maybe have been cast out, that we just don't talk about it. For the sake of the whole, for the sake of the family dinner, for the sake of harmony, for the sake of just getting along, we don't talk about it. And this... This family even, it even touches on patterns of generational trauma. And what can happen when, when we live from a sense of scarcity and fear, this fear of maybe losing it all, that leads Abuela, the matriarch, living from this sense of fear, to, to really present as kind of overprotective, overbearing, controlling, anxious about the state of the family. We see these patterns even of general, generational trauma that she experienced in her youth and how it impacts her family. Does this resonate with anyone yet? <laughs> I mean, I gave you like six examples. <laughs> this movie is so relatable to almost any family system that we find ourselves in today. So how can we navigate these relationships with truth and love without losing ourselves? or without causing greater harm, or, or without exhausting everyone around us, including ourselves. Now listen, I'm not promising that a Disney movie is going to fix all of our families, right? I, I know we're going to talk, you know, it's like Disney, so there's magic involved. <laughs> but I, I'm not promising that this is going to fix anything. If only we could just break out in a song right at the next family dinner and all our problems would go away, right? And we'd all agree and we'd all live in harmony again share our feelings and live happily ever after like this is a Disney movie so there's a sense of like there's this fiction involved but what I do think this movie can offer us is an example just a, it's an illustration that allows us to go deeper to see some simple lessons some general guidelines for how to navigate difficult relationships and on an even deeper level I think there's an illustration for some gospel lessons that can be applied to how we are called to live as children of God today, as members of one body in Christ together in a family. These gospel lessons that can help us remember who we are and navigate these family relationships, yes, in our families, yes, in our lives, but also in the church. Right? Like I'm someone who believes that God can speak through lots of different things and ways. And the more I listened and and heard and, and read. I'm not, you know, I'm not calling this the gospel according to it in Kanto, but what I'm saying is that there are life lessons and illustrations here that can be applied for people of faith that look through a lens of scripture in a theological way in the world. We can say, there's something here that can help us navigate in the name of Christ our relationships today. And so that's what I hope. In sort of a fun way, you know, the end of the summer, last three weeks before we hit our fall launch, Let's have some fun and talk about Encanto 
and maybe how God is showing up uh, even in, in surprising ways in the world around us through some life lessons here. So if you haven't seen the movie yet, it's okay. You have time. I don't know what you're doing this afternoon. I heard it's going to be rainy. So you can watch Encanto, <laughs> and you can catch up. There will be spoilers this morning, but that's also okay because it's still, like I said, not too late to watch. So this movie follows the story of the family Madrigal who live in a magical house, La Casita, in a small village that is set in Colombia. Many years ago, as I shared, Abuela, who is their grandmother, the matriarch of the family, she was given a blessing. And this blessing was signified by this special gift, this, this candle that they still have in their home. They call it their Encanto. And each child that is born into this family after Abuela, when they turned five or six, they are given a blessing. They are given a, a special magical gift that then the town around them, the village, like really comes to rely on. So here's like a, just a little rundown, okay, of the people, the grandkid roundup. Are you ready? No, I'm just kidding. They're triplets. Um, the first three kids, there's Peppa, who can control the weather with her emotions. There's Bruno, who can see visions of the future. There's Julieta, who can heal people with her cooking. I mean, there's like, that's like kind of sacramental, you know, like with bread, like she gives, she heals people through this like love of, of feeding them. We might go into that. This next generation of kids, as they marry and have more, there's Dolores, the first one who has supersonic hearing. She can hear a song or a pin drop from miles away. Isabella, the center of the top, she can just produce these perfect and beautiful just blankets of flowers with the wave of an arm. Uh, there's Luisa, who is super strong, superhuman strength. Uh, Camilo, who's probably like, he's like a background character a little bit, but he's probably one of my favorites because he can shapeshift into different people. And in one of the songs, you see him like, approach a young mother who has a child who's crying, and he shapeshifts into her and looks just like her so that she can pass the baby off to him and she takes a nap. Like, hello, like that needed to happen this morning, right, Megan? <laughs> He's asleep now. Okay, the child was not having it, and I needed, I needed someone that looked just like me to hold this child. It's Haley. God bless her. I hope she can hear me. <laughs> and then the youngest here on the right is Antonio, and he can talk to animals. And the story begins, the movie begins on the night of his sort of birthday party, his ritual where he's going to approach the door and he's going to hold the candle and learn what his special gift is to hopefully open his door into this big cavern of his new bedroom and, and what he has been blessed with, right? And it's a really big deal because there's one person we haven't mentioned yet. This, this night is a big deal for Antonio because the last time this ritual happened, the last time someone turned five or six in the family and approached her new door to figure out what her gift was, nothing happened. That was Mirabelle, who was not given a gift. She does not have a, a magical power or gift. The only one in the, born into the family that doesn't have one. And ever since that fateful night, fateful night so many years ago, the abuela is super, super anxious about this. The magic is in trouble. And so 
from this point on, Mirabel kind of sort of emerges as the main character. You, we kind of follow her, right? Because she is both relieved for her baby cousin whom she loves, Antonio, when he gets a gift, but also, again, you know, not sure what's going to happen, the ritual after she doesn't get a gift. She's excited and relieved for Antonio, but also feeling a little, you know, like, here we go again. I'm, I'm the only one. And she's really trying to figure out how she fits into the family. Surrounded by people who are gifted, who are magical, who are powerful, who have all these special gifts that they can contribute to the village and help out. And she really doesn't know how, how she fits in with the family. She tries. She loves her family so much. But more often than not, her family just tell, tells her that she's really just in the way. She's really just in the way. So there are lots of really great it's a Disney movie, so like they break out into song, and there's a lot of really wonderful songs in this movie. But I think it's Maribel's first number that is, is really powerful in its own way. It doesn't get as much love, it really doesn't, as Luisa's song or Bruno's song, or, but Maribel's is powerful. And I think it captures that feeling of what it's been like in this family to sit on the sideline while everybody else shines. It captures her emotion and her struggle of what it's been like to try and figure out how she fits into the family and wanting her chance to prove herself. But it's never come. It's, it's never happened. So on the night that they're celebrating Antonio and everybody's partying in his new room, she leaves the party and she breaks out into song. And here's some of the things that she says. You know, she's focusing on all the things that she can't do. I can't move mountains like Louisa. I, I can't make the flowers bloom. Right? I can't take another night up in my room waiting on a miracle. She can't heal what's broken like her mother, and she can't control the morning rain like her Tia Peppa. And she says, all I need is a change. All I need is a chance. And she's saying, if, if they would only open their eyes and give me a chance, think of what I could do. Think of all that I, I could do. I could heal what's broken. I, I could show this family something new. I am ready, she says. And this is, I've been patient and steadfast and steady. I'm ready for my moment. Bless me now as you've blessed everybody else all those years ago. Am I too late for a miracle? I'm just wondering how often in our own lives do we feel that way, that we are just waiting on a miracle, waiting on a chance, waiting for something to change in our lives. Maybe it's in our families. Maybe it's in our workplace. Maybe it's here among this church family. We're waiting for a chance to prove ourselves. Maybe you feel like you've been, you know, steady and steadfast and you're ready, waiting on a miracle, longing, maybe just longing for more out of this life, waiting to be blessed like other people you see in your lives. They have all these tremendous, amazing gifts that they can contribute, and, and you just don't really know what yours, it, what yours is or, or how you could contribute and help out. Maybe like Maribel, sometimes you just feel like you're in the way, waiting on a miracle. And sometimes that space is super exhausting. That's a hard place to be, waiting for a miracle. 
But as I said, Maribel really sort of emerges as the main character because even though she doesn't have a magical power or gift, she is actually the one for her family that will figure out the secret to saving it all, to saving the Encanto, to saving her family and healing and restoring what was broken. And that's because she discovers the truth, the core truths about her family and what these magical gifts really mean. She discovers the first thing is that everybody actually does have a gift to share, even Maribel, who doesn't have a magic power, but she still has something to share. And then the second thing is, but you are still more than your gift. I know that sounds weird together, but hear me. She discovers that we all have a gift to share and a role to play, and then also that our value as who we are isn't found in that gift. So it's two things. Like maybe you're sitting here feeling like I really am not a gifted person. Like I don't know. But actually you are. You have a gift. But part of the problem is we always put value and importance and worth on people because of what they can do and because of their gift and because of how they excel, which makes us, the others of us, feel even more insecure, right, and inferior and not good enough. But these are the two things that Maribel knows and realizes. Everybody has a gift and a role to play. And you are valued more than only that gift. So each week we're going to look at a different character and kind of what their lesson is that they can teach us. But this is really the meat and potatoes of it right here. And we're going to unpack this in the next couple of weeks through Maribel's perspective. These two truths, we're going to revisit and unpack scripture and see these two things that are true. You've heard this before. You're probably thinking this is pretty obvious. But in a world that continues to value us based on what we produce and do and the awards that we earn and how we excel and how great all of our kids do in in life, like if if our only worth is found in that, then we will continue to feel like Maribel, not good enough, that we don't fit in, that we don't really have a gift to share. And there's a gospel truth here that I hope you're already connecting because this is exactly what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians to the church in Corinth as well. He's talking about their giftedness and their blessing and how they should live together as a family because they all have a gift to share and a role to play and their value is in more than simply what they can do. This is exactly what Paul is getting at. Now, we know from the, this, this time in Corinth, we know a couple of things about what's going on in the church. The first thing that we know is that it's a really diverse gathering of people in this city, which has meant the church that has emerged is also very diverse. You heard him refer to the Jews and Gentiles, slave and free. You have people from all sort of economic statuses, various ranks in society, um, of course, different genders and ethnicities. Some, some folks are married, some are not. Some are widowed, um, some have children. Um, there's rich and poor. There's a lot of folks from the lower class that are a part of this church in Corinth, but they even have some high-ranking officials. And so therefore, they all have different sets of gifts and blessings as well. But the other thing we often know in the New Testament, but especially true in Corinth right now, is that in the church they are also very much divided. They are very divided. They are diverse, yes, but they are also very divided. The diversity that they have experienced among the people has created a deep discord, uh, a deep disunity, 
And there are some really deep-seated issues. This is a common theme in the New Testament letters, right? Paul is writing to churches he has planted going, hey, get it together. (laughs) I've heard about some things that are going on. Remember, that's not the gospel that I shared with you. And so he's going to address. And in most of the letters, he addresses one or two. 1 Corinthians is a long letter. There's a lot that he needs to address. There's a lot going on in this church that is not in sync with the gospel of Jesus Christ that he taught them. Different factions, different identities, different senses of competitiveness based on who baptized them. You know, the different spiritual leaders at the time that they have allegiance to. It's like, okay, but your allegiance is to Christ, right? Like, does it really matter who, who baptized you, who, who led you at the time? They address different economic disparities that are going on. But really, this big main one in 1 Corinthians that, that Paul is addressing to the people, to the church there, is this sense of rivalry over the gifts that have been given from the Spirit. And they seem to be placing a lot more importance on one gift, and that happens to be speaking in tongues. It's like somehow that's the holy card. And if you've been given that gift, woo, watch out. They are valued. They are celebrated. They somehow maybe carry themselves a little bit more, you know, prominence in the community. They are holier ones. And so this leads to some discord. This leads to some resentment. This leads to some disunity, some anger. You can understand that. I was a part of a community in college where people were were speaking in tongues, right? It's, it's, I know that it, it happens. I know that it exists, this gift of the spirit, but to be one in their midst who wasn't at the time made you feel a little strange. Like, did I miss it? (laughs) Did I, did I miss something? Until I learned that, you know, actually every time in scripture, when we see someone speaking in tongues, you're also supposed to have someone interpreting so that it was benefiting the whole community. And yet in our pride and in our sin and in our competitiveness, that breaks down. That doesn't always happen. That's what's happening in Corinth. There's rivalry happening. There's competitiveness because there's different gifts going on. And Paul writes to them and says, listen, stop this. Stop comparing. Stop competing. Don't you know you're all part of one body? Don't you know that Everyone is a member, and you all have a role to play. And don't you know that you need each other, that you can't say to the eye or to the hand that I have no need for you, because then how would we, you know, smell and hear? And we need each other. We're all part of one body. You know, I thought was really interesting in in my study this week as I came across that this isn't the – the only time in the ancient world where the, a, a metaphor for a body is used to describe a group of people. It's the only person in the New Testament. Paul is the only one we see talk about the body of Christ. But in sort of the philosophical world and the political world of the day, they, they talked about a body of people a whole lot. But usually in terms of like a social hierarchy. Right? Like, of course, if you're talking about whether it's a family or a city or an empire or just society at large, you would often hear in the discourse and the writings of the day this metaphor about a body. And, of course, it's so, you know, the point is that everybody needs a head. 
right? Every group of people needs someone in charge, and in society that was usually uh, the wealthy and the rulers and the elite, the head of the body. And then everybody needs hands and feet to do the hard and dirty work, and that was usually the lower class people that did the manual labor, more people than the higher ranking folks. So for Paul to to use this metaphor of a body, but in a different way in the context of church, he's sort of turning it on its head. He's, he's using it in a very different direction. He's saying that the unity of the body does not, in fact, mean that less honored members of, of lower class or of, of different, um, different jobs or roles get abused or treated roughly. In fact, he's saying all parts belong to one another, and therefore the, the weaker parts or the you know, maybe less sought-after parts or jobs, they should be treated with special care. So what you see Paul doing is this sort of end result of this body metaphor. It's not a hierarchy. It's not even turning it inverse. It's this understanding of this kind of mutual care and mutual love and mutual respect, a deep unity among all of the members of the whole body where everybody can be cared for. So he's taking an example that they should have been familiar with out in the world and saying, no, but in here, in the church, in the body of Christ, we're going to treat one another differently. And this is what this body needs. This is Reverend Brian Peterson who said this, the diversity within the church community is not something then to be tolerated or regretted or manipulated for one's own advantage, but something to be received as the gift that it is. Paul's argument implies that not only diversity, but unity in that diversity is a reality without which the church cannot live. The gift is actually the diversity of gifts. The gift is actually in our uniqueness because we need each other and we all have a role to play. So instead of competing, instead of letting our insecurity lead, it's It's to celebrate one another. It's to see one another. It's to honor one another in our uniqueness and our giftedness and say, all right, you've got that covered. That means I can do something else. We're in this together. We know these things, but I think it's often so hard to remember or to apply to ourselves or to even extend the grace needed for ourselves to say, you know, I I do have a gift and a role to play. So often we neglect those gifts or or we fail to see and recognize other people for who they are and the gifts that they bring. We can feel insecure, like I said, or feel like our standing or our gift is somehow threatened by someone else's gift. We can feel not good enough. Here's the thing, our value and worth, whether it's in our families at home, these truths apply there too, right? The, a failure to see one another in our, in our family units for who we really are and for the gifts that we have, even beyond the expectations that parents can have, right? Whether it's in our families or whether it's here in this body, our value and worth is not based on what we can do or what we have to offer. It's based on who we are as children of God and therefore people of worth. People who've been created in the image of God, worthy of love, just for being you, just for being 
created. Here comes the spoiler alert from the movie, and this is how I'll wrap up. This is something that Abuela finally learns at the end. After Maribel confronts her and says, no one will ever be good enough for you, Abuela. It takes a lot of nerve and courage to speak that truth to the matriarch of your family. Right After she says, Luisa will never be strong enough. No one will be perfect enough. No one will, be, will ever be good enough for you. As they finally acknowledge the, how their, their house, literally and figuratively, their family is crumbling around them. Right? And Abuela's biggest fear is that she will lose her home that she had first lost in the beginning of the movie, that she'll, she'll be lost, she'll be homeless again, she'll be without her home, without her family. That's her biggest fear. And it takes the house actually falling down and crumbling for her to realize at the end that the miracle is not, she sings this, of course, you guys, because <laughs> it's a Disney movie. Porky, listen. <laughs> I promised God and my country that I would not sing this. The miracle is not some magic that you've got. The miracle is you. Not some gift, she says, just you, all of you. Y'all, I cry every time at all of you at the end. I'll be confessional. I'll be transparent. It is such a powerful image, Kendall. <laughs> the miracle is not some gift or some magic or, or whatever. The, the miracle is you just being you, created and worthy of love and a part of this family. We all have a gift to share and a role to play, but our value and our worth is not found in what we do or produce or how we're beneficial for other people around us. Our value is found in just being a child of God. Even Maribel, who has no magical gift, this is what she proves to us at the end. She even has no magic but a gift to share with the family it's her love it's the love that she had for them all along to seek them out to really see and we'll we'll di dive into this a little bit more next week when we talk about her and her siblings and their their rivalry a bit but it's her love to kind of push through the hard stuff and to see them for who they really are to accept them to love them to even seek out bruno the estranged uncle that nobody talks about even anymore. She's the one who discovers that he's still been in their midst all this time. And to bring him back into the family, to restore those relationships, Maribel's gift to the whole family is her love. Her love that she has for them. And you know what Paul says at the end of 1 Corinthians 12, and I will show you still a more excellent way, a more excellent gift. He's like, listen, here are all the gifts of the Spirit. Here's all the things that we can be given from the Spirit. But did you know there's still a more excellent way? Do you know what that way is? Thank you, Steve. Love. You should be hearing of some maybe, like I think, like the, I think I've heard this before. You know, back in February when we talked about the way of love. Remember now. Because right after, I know, shaking your head. Right after 1 Corinthians 12, you know what comes next? 1 Corinthians 13, the way of love. <laughs> the still more excellent way that Paul is calling them to 
is love. Love in Jesus Christ who what? Requires us to die to ourselves and to live in Christ. To find our identity there in Christ. Not in some gift that we have. Not in your ability to speak in tongues or to preach or to prophesy or to teach or heal or whatever. But to die in Christ is to gain. That is the more excellent way that I believe in a very gospel-oriented, sacramental way, Maribel embodies in this sweet little story. She's willing to risk it all for the sake of love and restoring these relationships within her family. And friends, that's the gospel message uh, that I think we have for us today. This reminder of who we are in Christ can't be taken away, can't be evaluated, can't be seen as, as worth more than anybody else because if we are in Christ, the old has passed away, the new has come, and we are new creations set free to worship and to love and to serve with our giftedness and our diversity, to see and respect and love one another for the same. There's no competitiveness. There's no competition here. There's no, we're all in this together, right? We need each other, and we all need to be set free. That'll be the next teaching series, all in this together. Did you hear it? Okay, I didn't mean to. I'm so sorry. The greatest gift is still and will always be Jesus. (laughs) And I don't even care how cheesy that sounds or how simple and straightforward this is because, y'all, we need to remember this. We need to actually accept this and live into this each and every day because we have a world out there that has a completely different paradigm in which it sees and evaluates us. And if we're going to be a part of a body and if we're going to choose to live this life the way of the way of the cross and follow Jesus together out there in 2022, that is just what it is. <laughs> we need to remind ourselves and practice these things every single week, every single day, the way of the cross that we are following, that we have chosen to live. And to do that journey, we need each other. Amen? Amen. And I am so grateful I get to do that with you. Let's pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for who you are and for how you speak to us just in fun and surprising ways, as simple as a children's movie of Encanto, a Disney movie that our our kids can sing along to. God, I, I just thank you that you continue to show up in our lives and speak to us and remind us of who we are. God, so many of us come from difficult and strained family relationships. So many of us have experienced even church hurt and harm and broken church families. So God, we just thank you for the gift and the reminder of these truths about who we are. That we are loved, that we are enough, that we are gifted in our own way, and that we have a role to play in the body of Christ. What an amazing gift to not only be called a friend of God, but to be called family of God. All of that made possible through your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So God, I just pray over each person here today and listening in, God, that as stuff has bubbled up, maybe about their own family systems or about their own sense of of insecurity, God, that you would just meet them with grace and with comfort and with blessing and with love, that you would speak these words of truth over them, that they 
are created in the image of God, that they are loved, that they are worthy of love and respect. God, I pray that being a part of this church family may be a healing experience for them, to be surrounded by people who will love and care and nurture them, because we have all been baptized together into that one spirit. God, what a gift it is to be in your presence today. And I lift all these things up to you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.